Welcome back to Soulful, an immersive podcast brought to you by the School of Lived Experience. I'm Tony Patrick. And I'm Michelle Wu. Today we dive into episode three, Fire, of Somatic Journeys with Miguel Rivera and Micheline Berry. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, How are you today, by the way? Well, it is 6.58 a.m. I am waking up, waking up energetically, waking up physically. In your own words, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a tough guy. Been overwhelmed, to say the least. So I'm excited that we're going to talk about fire today because, I mean, talk about metabolizing weighty, heavy, annoying <laughs> energy conversations. How are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm, I usually say cray-cray, usually cray-cray as usual, (laughs) but I am finding myself, as we talk about fire and we talk about balance, I feel like there are things that are burning away in my universe. And what I mean, an inner and outer universe, you know, the winds of change are here, whether it is laws and policies we've seen, whether it's changes in weather, And then internally, I am remembering that our normal is gone. And so what it forces me to do is enjoy the moments that I have with people. So I'm trying to kind of live out my own, I'm not going to say post-pandemic, I'm going to say next phase pandemic experience. Whatever phase we're in, I'm just trying to take the first set of lessons and insights with me. So, and there's a little bit of push and pull with that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that really resonates because I've been getting caught up as usual, Mm -hmm. getting caught up in the the news cycle, in work, in everyday life shit. And um, I too have been at moments remembering who I am and what it feels like to be connected. And that's the piece that sort of pulls me out of it throughout the day. You know, it's like a little tap on the shoulder. It's like, hey, it's going to be okay. It's not it's not that serious. But also mm-hmm. it is really fucking serious, but you can't control how other people think and feel. Well, I mean, you know what it is for me and you've heard me talk about it somewhat comically and then I talk about it seriously, but that ancestral voice, you know, that pops up and goes, "Oh, is this all you're dealing with? Come on. I had it way worse than you." My ancestral voice is always like, "Oh, just get back to work." <laughs> you know, which is Maybe not the best uh, advice, but the real work is not our physical labor or our jobs. The work is also in the internal plane. So that work is always at hand. And I think what I'm hoping for is for the fires to burn away the amnesia. Mm. That's my desire. Can we get can we get that wildfire going? Can we burn away the amnesia here as a job? With that, maybe it's time to turn it over to our real fire starters, Miguel and Micheline, for our third episode of Somatic Journey. Let's get ready for the ride. Good morning, Miguel. How are you? Good morning, Micheline. I'm all right. You ready for today's journey? Yes, I am. What are we working with today? Today, we're going to talk about fire. And I'm going to share with the relatives here, the family, those that have gathered to listen to this episode of how fire was brought to the people. And the thing about this story in particular is normally fire is obtained by an act of thievery or stealthily removing the element of fire from the deities. And in this case, the fire was given or earned 
by a young man through a ceremony of fasting and praying for a number of days up on the hill. Can you talk a little bit about fire and how this elemental practice can be applied to this postmodern culture that we live in today? I think that fire is not just a metaphor, not just a symbol, not just an idea or an academic position. It is something that needs to be basically metabolized physically in person. I have spent over the last 40 plus years, thousands of hours in front of a fire, taking care of a fire. So I know that for sure. I had a friend years ago who was very dear to me. One time we were having a deep conversation. He was talking about Atlantean fire, Lemurian fire, Greek fire, Roman fire, Dogon fire. And I said to him, did you guys ever go out and build a fire with your teacher? And he said, no. I just about fell out of my chair and realized this is really important. If we have to learn something about the elements, we have to have a physical relationship to them so we understand how to be tactile with them, metabolizing a relationship with them. And how to take care of fire too, right? Like how to maintain it in a way that's sustainable. Exactly. And not consuming or damaging. Any of the elements that we talk about have the potential to create a lot of damage if they're not proper relationship or understood how they interact with themselves in all of their different aspects. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you brought up a French philosopher, uh, Gaston Bachelard. I found a quote from him, so beautiful. Love is but a fire that is to be transmitted. You know, his provocation is, he put it this way, that we participate in the inflammatory intuition, (laughs) that we participate in the inflammatory intuition of a poetic philosopher and to understand that the flame is the source for a living creature. I find this interesting that you can find elemental philosophy in our modern philosophers, that we don't have to go back to indigenous only, but there's a thread from indigenous to modern thought, modern thinkers. Well, I think he was connecting himself to the land around him. He grew up on a farm and his father used to spend hours building fires in front of him and he did not let them touch a match until he was like 18 years old. But he watched how carefully his father always built the fire so he knew exactly by observation what it entailed, what kind of care and responsibility it took to build a fire. So for him, it was not just an idea anymore, but it was actually a physical relationship. And what it denoted him is care and love behind the movement. So that to me is really important because at the end of the day is your connection to the world around you through heart. In his thought process, he connected to me heart and mind and did not let the mind drive (laughs) a dialectic into the being of the heart, but allowed Mm -hmm. the heart to inform the mind Mm -hmm. as to how to be in relationship to everything around. Yeah, and from a somatic point of view, fire is the digestive heat that transmutes, that digests, that transforms. Working with fire in the body is a powerful way to transform our own toxins. I'm also speaking to the toxins of how we think. And I find that working with fire, it allows me a way to digest or metabolize difficult emotions and difficult states of mind. So what's really important is to realize that you have all these feelings. You have emotions, you have feelings, and you have thoughts. And the spectrum of what goes through us, we're not allowed by the culture to actually healthily feel what we need to feel. We're not allowed to express anger. We're not allowed to express fear. We're not allowed to express doubt or apprehension in in a healthy way. 
is necessary for the being to express these things. And when you have a practice that allows you to figure out what the spectrum is, you know, when they say on the spectrum here in the culture, in the common vernacular, you have now the indication that something is wrong and you're going to be basically pathologized, right? So this is a way of depathologizing our thought structure so that you can actually have the freedom to be angry about something. You have the freedom to be afraid to be something and be able to express it and not to damage to yourself, damage to others, or destroy the whole whole picture in the process. And that's important because these things have a message. They're messengers. You know, anger is a messenger and so is fear, right? So you have to repurpose the fear with curiosity. You have to replace the anger with love, understanding how to connect and how to belong to the world around you. That's the other thing that I think we're trying to do with this series is create practices that have a visceral anchor within our own bodies. So we combine your storytelling and your earth-based wisdom with my somatic meditation as a way for people to experience directly these elements. So I'm really grateful to be um, on this adventure with you. And let's get started. All right. What do you think? So I'm going to invite everyone to take a moment and pause. Check your body. Make sure your shoulders are not in your ears. Make sure your hands are not locked. Your jaw is relaxed. Breathe deeply. Feel yourself grounded wherever you are in this world, whatever time zone, whatever country you are in. Feel yourself connected to the world. Feel yourself connected to the earth beneath you. Feel yourself connected to the water around you, wherever that is, whether it's a river, ocean, lake, wherever that water is, feel it. Feel the fire around you, whether it's nighttime and it is the light coming from a long distant star or daytime and you are feeling our star here, our local star bringing you light, bringing you illumination and warmth. Feel all of the elements around you, the air and the earth as well. Feel them all holding you. Feel the ancestors of the land around you holding you as well, curious about you. Feel your ancestors, feeling those ancestors, getting to know each other. Ah, you look a little weird, but you're kind of cool. Ah, you eat strange foods, but I like the taste of these things. Feel them, getting to know each other. And so we understand we are in a time of uncertainty, hunger, anger, and intolerance. May the mystery that surrounds us at this point be opened. May our way of perceiving be changed so that we can understand the world around us in a much, much better way, familiar, deeply caring and loving. And may we remember where we come from, not compromised, confined, or immobilized, restricted by an ism, anis, a tenant, or a belief system. Free, deep, unconditional connection to the mystery. We invite the spirits of the story to spend time with the ancestors we have invited in this session and thank them for their presence with us here today. The Gift of Fire. Three Arrows was a boy of the people from the northern forests. Although he had not yet seen 14 winters, he was already known among the people for his skill and daring. He earned his name after he brought down three flying wild geese from the same flock with three bone-tipped arrows. 
He moved in the forest as softly as the south wind. He was a skillful hunter, but he never killed a bird or animal unless his clan needed food. He was proficient in woodcraft, a swift runner, and a clever wrestler. Life Force was strong in the heart of Three Arrows. Soon he would have to meet the tests of strength and endurance through which the boys of his clan transitioned into adulthood. He had no fear of the dream fest that he was going to face. His father was a chief and a good man, and the boy's life had been patterned after him. The people said, soon he will be a leader like his father. When the grass was knee high, three arrows and his father left their village. They climbed to a sanctified place in the mountains where they found a narrow cave at the back of a little plateau. Three arrows decided to sit there for his days of prayer and vigil. He was not permitted to eat anything during the days and nights of his fast. He had no weapons, and his only clothing was a breechcloth and moccasins. His father left the boy with the promise that he would visit him at dawn every day that the ceremony lasted. But the father did not return. He did not come to check on the boy at dawn like he said he would. This troubled Three Arrows at first. Then he remembered the elders telling him a ritual betrayal was part of the vision fast experience. After the third morning, he let go of his anger towards his father. And so Three Arrows prayed to the ancestors. He prayed so his clan ancestor, the bear, would appear in a dream and tell him that he could adopt him as a guide and protector for the rest of his life. When the dream came, he would be free to return to his people, bringing back a gift. For five sons, three arrows spent his days and nights on the rocky plateau, only climbing down to a spring for a bit of water after each sunset. His heart was filled with a dark cloud because his father has sternly warned him that on the next day, the sixth son, he must return to his village even if no dream had come to him in the night. This meant returning to his people in disgrace without the chance of undertaking another dream fast. That night, three arrows, weak from hunger and his ceaseless watch, cried out, Great one, have pity on the one that stands humbly before you. Let our clan spirit or a sign from beyond the thunderbird come before tomorrow's sunrise. I humbly implore you, I humbly ask you. As he prayed, the wind suddenly veered from east to north. This cheered three arrows because the wind was now the wind of the great bear and the bear was the spirit of his clan. He entered the cavern and smelled for the first time the unmistakable scent of the bear. This was strong medicine. He crouched at the opening of the cave, too excited to lie down. During the night, he heard the rumbles of thunder, saw flashes of lightning, and felt the fierce wind from the north. Suddenly, a gigantic bear stood beside him in the cave. Three arrows heard it say, listen well, your clan spirit has heard your prayer. Tonight, you will learn of a force that will bring help and health to all of your people. A clash of thunder brought the dazed boy to his feet as the bear disappeared. He looked from the cave just as a streak of lightning flashed across the sky in the form of a blazing arrow. Then the air was filled with a frightening sound. A shrill shrieking came from the ledge just above the cave. It sounded as though mountain lions fought in the storm. Yet three arrows felt no fear as he climbed toward the higher ledge. 
When his eyes grew accustomed to the dim light, he saw that the force of the wind was causing two young basswood trees to rub violently against each other. The strange noise was caused by friction, and as he listened and watched, alarm filled his heart. For from where the two trees rubbed together, a flash of lightning showed smoke. Alarmed yet fascinated, he watched until flickers of flames followed the smoke. He had never seen fire of any kind at close range, nor had any of his people. He scrambled down to the cave and covered his eyes in dread of the strange force. Then he smelt bear again, and he thought of his vision, his clan spirit, and the bear and its message. At daybreak, three arrows climbed onto the ledge and broke two dried sticks from what remained of one of the basswood trees. He rubbed them forcefully together, but nothing happened. This magic is too powerful for me, he thought. Then a picture of his clan and village formed in his mind, and again, with more patience and perseverance, he started rubbing the hot sticks together. His willpower took the place of his tired muscles. Soon, a little wisp of smoke greeted his efforts, and then came a bright spark on one of the sticks. Three arrows waved it as he had seen the fiery arrow wave in the night sky. A resinous blister on the stick glowed and then flamed. Fire had been gifted to his people. So, we invite you to touch into the wonder of your own inner fire. Just like three arrows bringing back fire to his people, you can bring your awareness back to the primordial fire burning within you. The hypersonic firing of a billion neurons, the molecular burn of a trillion cells animating the impulse of life and creation within you right now. As you listen to these stories, as you listen to these words. So sitting comfortably, close your eyes, dive into the inner landscape of your soma, your wild, inherent humanness. Let go, dive in, listen, feel what you feel. Feel what you feel. And with a gentle attention, sensing the warmth of your own body, breathing into that warmth, coming back to your senses. And in the stillness of your own listening, allow your awareness to drop down deeper into your body, into your own inner fire. So staying dropped in, the first breathing practice comes from East India. It's called Kabbalabhati, breath of fire. It's an active and strong exhaling practice and a relaxed, passive, 
inhaling practice combined through both nostrils. So sit either on a chair, if you're not already, with your feet touching the ground, or any other comfortable seated position that will allow you to sit with a straight back. And if at any point you find yourself out of breath or anxious or dizzy, just slow down, return to the natural cadence of your breath until you feel ready to join back in. So Kabbalah Bhati, breath of fire. Inhale through both nostrils, fill, fill your lower belly and strong exhale, contract the navel to the spine. Sounds like this. So continue on your own, relaxing your face, relaxing your shoulders, relaxing your mouth, and just allowing the inhale to expand and strong exhale, pulling the navel towards the lower back. Inhaling, expanding belly. Exhale, contracting. So inhaling, expanding the lower belly. Exhaling, contracting. Pausing when you need to. Allow the inhales to happen naturally. Notice the heat inside of you building. Take a few deep inhales and a few exhales through the mouth. And now a little faster. As you continue stoking your inner fire, what are you igniting, transmuting, cooking, forging? Breathe, stoke that inner flame. Relaxing your belly. 
relaxing the muscles of your face, your jaw, your lips, your tongue. A few deep inhales and a few exhales through the mouth. Feeling the warmth. Just an intimate attention towards the inner fire within you. Feel the breath entering your belly. Sense your body as a field of warmth awakening inside of you. Making space to listen and feel what the fire is transmuting in you right now. And ending with the words of Leonard Cohen, if your life is burning well, poetry is just the ash. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch up with you in the riff. Wow. I mean, I'm just going to dive right in. What resonated for me was this idea of the metabolic, the inter-R, as we referred to in our last episode, and the integration of the elements both within us, but in front of us, all around us. And I actually was on retreat recently with a group of artists, and I did my first sweat lodge. And as part of that, we as a voluntary group. I mean, we had no idea who was going to sweat that day. We all just sort of showed up and we were led by a couple of medicine people from the Arikawa tribe. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly from North Dakota. And as part of the ritual, we actually had the honor and privilege of building the sacred fire. I cannot tell you the feeling that it inspired in me. And this was not quite like that. But I kind of felt like I had built another sacred fire by going through this journey. There was something about building that fire that I can't get out of my mind. And I keep seeing the people that I've built the fire with. I see them in my daydreams, in my nighttime dreams. I actually think that I see them on the street when I'm walking around. And I was actually thinking about one of these artists a lot. And I was at an event in New York. I don't live in New York. And I turn around and she's standing right there. It's wild. But what what resonated for everyone else? The thing about the fire in particular is that it, it always brings me home. And there's different ways of getting home if you're out, out and about, <laughs> removed from yourself. And so the fire is probably one of the most immediate ways of coming back into your body because 
When you get close to it, if you're not paying attention, you will get burnt. <laughs> so I've tended fire for 40 plus years. I have thousands of hours of taking care of fire. And for many years, I had no hair on my hands. And I realized if I thought about it, I would get burned. If I listened to the flow of the fire, mm. felt the flow of the fire, I would never get burnt or, or charred my hair. So it's a matter of being in relationship. I think of fire as a fluid. It's something that's very much alive. And so for me in particular, there's an ancestral voice that always comes in when you're taking care of the fire, you know. So for me, it's like dealing with elders. You have to be very careful and very tender when you're when you're taking care of fire, when you're moving the logs. So it's alive as a being or a community of beings when you're looking at the coals. Well, what you're speaking to, Miguel, is the practice and the embodiment of connection to ourselves and to the earth and the elements and to each other. And that's exactly what I was feeling during the journey, but also in thinking about my first experience physically building a sacred fire with my community as well. Just that feeling of going home, like you said, of returning to who we are. And there are no words to describe that feeling. It's not just an idea anymore. It becomes a physical reality. It's not just a concept. It's not just a, an idea or a metaphor. Yeah, you're making a direct relationship with it. As you're describing it, it's almost like there's a memory that we all have of sitting around a fire, telling each other our stories. And like you were saying, Michelle, there's something that when we do that together, we are not just creating relationship with fire, but that fire becomes an anchor between us as well. Right. It's at our fingertips, the simplicity of taking time to make and sit around a sustainable fire that is cared for and that can care for us. And we did not plan this episode to occur during the fires in Canada and the effect that those fires are having around the world. It's crazy because I was in Portugal five days ago and the sun was this deep pink red and it was because the smoke from the fire in Canada had reached Portugal. Wow. Tony, you're very quiet back there. You know, as we talk about this, what kept coming up for me is a few things. Fire as, as a tool, this episode made it very clear to me again when we talk about technology, we talk about ancestral wisdom, but when we also talk about ancestral technology, how fire is a technology. We are obsessed with digital technology, but the tool of fire, how we use it for cooking, how we use it for metabolization, how we use it for a gathering, how we use it, and what I've realized is, is that what you guys have made very clear to me is fire as space. Because I know you were saying, you know, fire as home, like how fire creates space. You talked about this memory. It brings up the ancestral memory, yes, of course, but what's in the body around stopping, sitting, gathering, and sharing and what is shared around that fire also becomes memory. It becomes experience and it becomes a way of the narrative technology. Fire is part of narrative technology because it's used to help create that space for the distribution and embodiment of story. So there's no way kind of around unless you sit around the fire. It's in there. When we did this as a sprint online, you know how Miguel opens up with calling the ancestors. So when he said, okay, bring in your ancestors. As I'm doing that, my black grandfather, Abner Berry, is across from a fire in the desert. 
and my white grandfather, Carol, were facing each other and Abner turns to him and says, how do you explain yourself? And then slowly the ancestors started gathering to have the conversation around the fire that we could never have. Like you were saying in the very beginning, Michelle, how you sense that there's some binding that happens. It's like a connective anchor of relationship. I think of relationship and intention. Mm-hmm. Um, because we all, I mean, whether we knew it or not, we went there mm. with a purpose. Mm-hmm. Something drew us to that night, to that group. Some of us ended up not participating in ways we thought we would. And without getting too much into it, because it's hard to talk about. At one point, I did ask one of the elders because the fire was starting to grow and it was right next to this tree that was hanging pretty low. And I I was like, how do you know that tree's not going to catch on fire? Like, I was kind of freaked out having been around so much wildfire living in California. She was like, don't worry. We prayed and, and the fire's been blessed. We're building this intentionally. So... This fire here is a generative type of fire. I'm kind of reading between the lines, but it was, there was a knowing, I think, as a result of us all showing up with intention. You know, it's interesting. I guess this is coming up because in terms of metaphors and realities, there's a fire station not too far from here. And so the other thing that I see at this fire station is they play basketball, they play music, And then you hear them, you know, piling into the vehicle and going out to put out these fires. And I'm just wondering about, you know, this balance that we, you know, fear of the fire, which is what you you kind of brought up, Michelle, like the fear and allowance of, and then those who are responsible for putting them out all of the time. And so this idea of, I know that, you know, I brought this up in the weather report, which was like this idea of controllable burns and uncontrollable burns and what that looks like for us. And I know, I guess I'm kind of posing it as a question. What are the fires that we think that we have to put out all of the time that perhaps we should just allow, (laughs) you know, to, to burn on their own to see if they eventually quell themselves? Does that make sense at all? I mean, I I guess that's what's coming up for me. There's a couple of things here. The necessity to do some sort of ongoing maintenance about our ritual obligations to the earth is one of them, right? And if you don't take care of the obligations, something's going to happen that's going to force you to take care of them whether you want to or not. So the fire becomes like a really fast way of taking care of something that hasn't been maintained. Also, I'm thinking of tempering, right? In our culture, we have substituted wounding for tempering. So in other words, you need fire. There's a slow cooking process that allows individuals to handle a lot of energy, especially in creativity. Like a lot of the musicians, they were not tempered properly. So when massive amounts of energy would come through, they died young. Look at Hendrix, look at uh, Mozart, look at Janis Joplin, the list could go on and on. So there's a primordial way of gauging the information or the energy that needs to come through by being able to temper. The forests in North America before the arrival of the Europeans, when you read the history of the continent, they would have control burns all the time. They were constantly burning so that there was a way of maintaining a certain healthiness of the forest. And we don't maintain the forest that way anymore. This is why these fires are so out of control is because there's no ongoing maintenance, at least for generations. So something has to be addressed. And a quick way 
of understanding that is to know that it's necessary to burn things on an ongoing basis to keep up. As Miguel and I were constructing this journey, it was just really palpable, wow, how important it is to remember how to maintain some sort of organic, real relationship of understanding fire, understanding its place, like you were saying, Miguel, from photosynthesis, lightning, volcanic activity, all of these natural processes, but also understanding our role as humans in understanding how to tend fire. And one of the things that we were talking earlier about, how can we take this practice and help people apply it? How do you apply it? And Michelle, it's exactly what you started with. It's like, how can you make a fire? Like, can you make a fire? And can you make a fire that is sustainable and and has a slow burn and doesn't devastate its environment? Micheline, I think what you're talking about is like, it's energy. Yeah. Right. And most of the time when we take in energy, when we release energy, we're doing it pretty unconsciously in a very reactive way. And in the way that you physically build a fire, which I had never built a fire before, not even a campfire. So this was like a very new experience for me. You can't walk away. Mm -mm. It's not something you can actually do unconsciously. Otherwise, you will burn down the forest, right? Mm -hmm. So if we actually, speaking of application, if we thought about our energy in this way, we would be watching how our energy is released, watching when we take energy in and how that gets processed through us into emotion, into action, into intention. I guess, long story short, it's that awareness and the ability to watch and see what's happening as it's happening. Yes, Go ahead. Go ahead, Michelle. As you're saying that, Michelle, I'm just remembering just like the stones, just like earth, how fire is a relative. That just is really, when you're talking, I'm I'm really sensing that, how creating a direct relationship and moving beyond our abstractions around fire, but moving beyond, or I should say maybe moving in towards and remembering that that fire is our relative. It's odd to talk about elements that way, but... As I'm getting older and having practiced all sorts of different iterations of spirituality, what I'm coming to is the profundity of being fire, being water, being earth, being air, and being nothing. And it's, it's profoundly simple and at the same time, I just, it makes me feel connected to a wisdom that's beyond language. I think with that, (laughs) it's a perfect place to end today's riff because I also think we have covered the four criteria of the riff, which is resonance, (laughs) imagination, we know what we've been forgiven for. And I think we usually end with fun But I think, as usual, we've had fun with this entire process. So I don't think we need to lay out the four. We've done it, we've embodied it, and we've landed in a great place. We would like to thank everyone for joining us, as usual and again, and to ask you to join us for our fourth episode 
which is, you guys want to talk about that for just a second? What is the element that we'll be dealing with in episode four? What do you need to have fire? Air. Air. <laughs> Please join us for episode four of Somatic Journey with Miguel Rivera and Micheline Berry and Michelle Wu and myself for air. See you soon. And thank you. Just a quickly fun little anecdote. Yeah. Are we recording this? Uh, I'm actually still recording. Yeah. I'm still recording. Lil, Lil's been on summer break. So we've been going on these long walks and, um, you know, she's just, we're chit-chatting. She loves collecting sticks, leaves, rocks, and they all end up in the bottom of the stroller because we're little man goes with us too. And uh, we were playing basically, I guess, a version of superheroes, but it was we represented different elements in nature. She's making up this game, by the way. And she turns to me at one point and she goes, Mommy, it makes me so mad when nature is hurt because nature is my friend and nature is me. And I looked at her and I went, what did you just say? <laughs> And then she kind of like gave me a smile and she goes, I'm just pretending, mommy. So it went, it went from this like sort of sage wisdom to, oh, right, you're five. But yeah, we played nature superheroes the other day. We are definitely including that. <laughs> <laughs> and again, <laughs> you know, our five-year-old sage. <laughs> Our five-year-old critic, our five-year-old fan. We need it. We need it. We need it. She's just pretending. You know what it is? I, I think this is ancestral wisdom. It's just pretending to be five years old. <laughs> right. She's wow, I love that. She's just pretending yeah. to be a kid. <laughs> yeah. Okay, on that. Yeah, on that. That's the end of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Right. I'm going to stop. Soulful is an immersive podcast experience created by Tony Patrick, Michelle Wu, Miguel Rivera, and Micheline Berry. It was sponsored and executive produced by Four Freedoms Media. Today's episode was produced by Micheline Berry, edited and sound designed by Miguel Rivera, mixed and mastered by Rick Santizo, with original theme music by David Ralicky. If you'd like to learn more about Soulful Somatic Journeys, our guests, or Soul, the School of Lived Experience, please visit our website at www.sole.house for more information, resources, and upcoming events. Thank you for your support.